Everyone has an opinion when it comes to having a baby and raising kids. Just get the epidural. There's no prize for doing it natural. In my day, we just let the baby cry until they settle themselves down. Have you tried sage oil? And so many more comments, most of them unsolicited. Welcome to the Birth and Parenting Things podcast. My name is Kim, and I've got opinions too. I'm kind of an expert on birth. I've also managed to raise three babies into young adults. I'm here to offer evidence-based information, stories, personal experiences on birth, parenting, and everything in between. So let's do this. Hello and welcome to episode six of Birth and Parenting Things podcast. I'm your host, Kim Fernandez. Let's see, where where are we right now? So still on Weight Watchers, still doing pretty good. Haven't given up, though I have wanted to dive into a giant bag of potato chips. Um, on, I think I may have mentioned on Saturdays, I have a sort of no points, carb fest, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> I am getting so old. On the Sunday afterwards, it's like a giant carb hangover. I can't move, feeling terrible. I haven't felt this bad since before I gave up drinking. But ugh, it tastes so good. So many chips, so many french fries, so much grease. Oh. Anyways, I'm not stopping. <laughs> if it's once a week, I think I'll live. Right. Now, shall we talk about Megan and Harry? Well, that happened. And of course, it'll be two weeks since the interview, the Oprah interview. And I'm not really going to dive into it because I think it's it's been, I think we've discussed it quite a bit in our own lives. But I want to say that if anyone comes to you saying that they feel like they don't want to live anymore, the answer isn't, well, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid um, you aren't on the payroll. And if you seek help, you're going to make the entire family look bad. That's not the answer. That's not what you say. I think as a result of that particular interview, I'm going to do kind of a special uh, episode next week and talk about my postpartum and uh, my postpartum mood disorder and my own mental health journey. It's, I don't mind talking about it. It's not certainly something that I sort of make relatively known, but as I say, I certainly don't mind talking about it. So what I would like is for those that are listening, um, you 10 wonderful people, you, uh, if you have any comments that you'd like to add, if you are or have struggled with a postpartum mood disorder or mental health issue, and you want to share some hope or guidance or what worked for you or whatever, um, please feel free to email me at birthandparentythings at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and, and maybe read out online what it's what your journey was like or if you're still in your journey. All right, so this week our topic is going to be, we're going to look at pre-labor vaginal exams. So these are vaginal exams in the final weeks of your pregnancy uh, that your doctor or midwife will do in their office. So some will do them as early as 37 weeks, which personally I think is a bit early. And 
When I talk about this in my prenatal classes, the question is often asked, well, why do they do that? What, what does doing that accomplished? And the, unfortunately, the only answer I can usually give is, I don't know. The answer often given by doctors is, let's just see what your cervix is doing. And that's great and all, but at 37, 38 weeks, your cervix is probably doing nothing. Or it could be starting to thin out and possibly already have some dilation happening to it. But this really means nothing. Whatever your cervix is doing, you aren't in labor until you're in labor. Your cervix isn't a crystal ball and it doesn't matter what's happening with it. None of it will tell you when you're going to go into labor. I've had clients that have literally been at say 37, 38 weeks have been five centimeters dilated, not in labor. All that means is that they're basically starting this race halfway through. They're cheating a little bit, but it doesn't mean that you're in labor. It's just your cervix is doing stuff without your knowledge. So the one thing that I've learned about birth that I can say with any certainty is that the only thing predictable about it, and this isn't your cervix, but the only thing predictable about birth is that it is completely unpredictable. So the other thing that can happen too with these sort of late stage vaginal exams before labor starts is it can be a bit soul crushing. When your care provider does an exam at 38 weeks and your cervix is thinning and a couple centimeters dilated, and then they give you the impression that you're going to go into labor soon. Clients will say, the doctor said I'll probably go into labor this weekend. And then two weeks later, you're still pregnant. It's, you suddenly think now that, Ugh, my body's broken. It's never going into labor. It's never going to go into labor. What's happening with it? Nothing. Nothing's happening with it. So you aren't broken. Your body isn't a lemon. If it doesn't go into labor, uh, you know, when you think it's going to happen, it doesn't matter. The one thing with the body and the cervix in particular is that it hates performing on demand. It doesn't like having an audience. And of course, the stress that comes with the idea that, oh, I'm never going to go into labor, that is going to cause your body to not go into labor. There's a mind-body connection that I think as birth professionals and doctors as well and, and the general public is that we don't necessarily take that body-mind connection seriously. We think that our body's just going to work. But our mind has to be a part of that process too. And if your mind is in this idea that it's not going to go into labor, well, then guess what? It's not. So it's a bit of a slippery slope kind of adding this in. The other thing to remember too is with those vaginal exams that are done in the office before labor starts, they are, wait for it, completely optional. You actually don't have to have them if you don't want to. You'll probably see that the doctor or the nurse may say, okay, next week we're going to do a vaginal exam and see what your cervix is doing. And you can say, great, looking forward to it, as, as if anybody is ever actually looking forward to them. Or you can say, you know what, I'd prefer not to have one next week, thanks. That's your choice. Your vagina, your choice. Now, is it ever a good time to have one done before labor starts? Well, maybe. And I mean, it's completely up to you. 
if you're having a no-risk, boring pregnancy, it doesn't really make sense to go poking around in your vagina before, say, 39, 40 weeks. If you have medical reasons where it might indicate an induction is necessary, then sometimes it might be helpful to know what's going on to help guide you in sort of natural uh, induction techniques and things like that. And I'll talk about natural induction, natural, I use air quotes around that, but I'll talk about sort of natural induction techniques um, in another episode uh, coming up in the future, (laughs) whenever that's going to be. But One thing that generally comes along with a pre-labor vaginal exam, unfortunately, is something called a stretch and sweep. Now, the stretch and sweep is basically where the doctor will do a vaginal exam in office before you go into labor. And when they do that, they'll, if they can, because if the cervix is really tight and closed, then this isn't possible. But if they can, insert a finger into the cervix and sweep around to irritate the cervix. The theory is that doing this will shorten the pregnancy by four days. Not that you'll go into labor in four days, but that if you say, for example, you were going to go into labor on your own at 41 weeks, four days, then doing a few uh, stretch and sweeps will cause your body to go into labor at 41 weeks. That's the theory anyways. There's a great... um, I encourage you to have a look at a website called Evidence-Based Birth and the, I think her name is Rebecca, Rebecca Decker. Um, She talks about uh, stretch and sweeps and whatnot. She has a podcast too, Um, but that's definitely a, uh, something to look into to do uh, some research of your own. I'm, I tell you things and I want you to do your own research. I want you to look into this. I'm not I'm hoping that you don't get the idea that I'm telling you not to do any of these things. I just want you to be aware of what's happening. So I actually had um, several of them when I went into labor. Well, when I went into labor, uh, when I had my first son, he, I think I had, uh, I want to say three of them. It was so long ago. My brain is atrophied at this point, but um. I had, I think maybe about three of them over the span of about a week or week and a half. And he ended up having to be induced anyways. That kid did not want to come into this world. Anyways, the thing with stretch and sweeps is, yes, they can help. It is, you know, sort of an induction technique, but it can sort of help maybe put you into labor before a medical induction is necessary. So if you know one is coming, if you know a medical induction is coming, this can maybe kind of help you maybe avoid that or at least get your body ready for that but the other thing is there are some risks so one of the risks while small is that one doing one could actually artificially break your waters so as you get closer to the end of your pregnancy uh, your body's releasing a hormone called relaxin and that relaxin actually helps to weaken the amniotic sac so that it will at some point break. But if it's so weak and the stretch and sweep is, you know, maybe quite vigorous, it can potentially break your bag of waters or, uh, have your waters broke. Anyways, um, that would mean then were starting labor before your body was actually ready and could potentially mean that an induction becomes necessary as well. So the next thing is that it can and oftentimes does 
cause spotting and cramping. And this could lead you to think that maybe you are actually in labor when it's not. You then end up going to the hospital, being admitted before labor is even started. And these days, they're not sending you home. When we're talking about, you know, pandemic births, they're not necessarily sending you home. And now we've got an induction happening because you're there. Why not? We can't have you sitting around forever, is their comments. That might not be your plan, but that could potentially be what's happening. Plus, I'm not going to lie. As I say, I've had several of them. They are not comfortable. They're, it's actually quite an unpleasant procedure. So it is very uncomfortable. So you would definitely want to go into it with a, you know, with your eyes open if you can. The other issue I find with sweeps, and this one kind of burns my ass, is these pre-labor uh, vaginal exams that are done they will, this care provider will sometimes sneak in a sweep without your consent. So if they're down there for a while, if it's very uncomfortable, then likely what's happened is, is you've gotten a sweep without consent. And that's wrong. On so many levels, is that wrong? This has happened to more than one of my clients. I've had one in particular, Um, this was her second baby. She had had midwives with the first, but then with the second one, um, opted to go with a hospital. So the first was home, uh, midwife at home. And then the second one, they opted to go with an obstetrician in hospital. And in that time, the, as they got closer to the end of the pregnancy, this male OB did a sweep without her consent and my God, was she pissed. And, and as I say, felt completely violated. So that in itself is just completely, completely wrong. I will say too, actually, I think the, with the third birth, um, that actually ended up being another home birth with midwives. Um, the hospital and OB care just let her down too badly. So if you consent to having a vaginal exam in the final weeks of pregnancy, great, no problem. But you don't want to sweep, then say so. Be sure to say, sure, let's do the let's do the vaginal exam, but I don't want to sweep, okay? Period. No explanation needed. Remember, your vagina, your choice. All right. All right. So, yeah. That's it. Um, That's kind of all my, that's all I have to say about that, I suppose. If anybody has any questions regarding uh, this particular topic, please feel free to email me at birthandparentythings at gmail.com. Let me know what your thoughts are. Um, If you need more information, let me know. All right. So stay tuned for our next part where we're going to talk about something, and I get a little bit personal about this one. We're going to talk about being touched out and what that all means after your baby is born. Have you ever heard this term, being touched out? Have you ever felt that although you love your baby and your kids and your partner and your family, but being in close contact with them can just feel so overwhelming? It's not uncommon that this would happen, particularly in new birthing parents or parent, uh, parents with young children. 
It makes sense when you have your baby and you're feeding them at the chest throughout the day and night, and maybe there's another child too, and they want your physical attention, and of course your partner wants your physical attention too. I 100% felt this, especially when my third baby arrived. I fed her at the chest until she was about nine months old, um, much longer than the boys. And at the end of the day, I was exhausted and I didn't want to be near anyone. I wanted to be alone. I also had postpartum depression on top of that and wanted to be alone a lot. According to Motherly website, it's not actually about that physical touch, but the neediness. And I, again, I 100% get this. I had three children who constantly needed me. I was also doing home daycare with two other little boys about the same age as my daughter and they needed me and then my husband needed me after work all day and I didn't have anyone I could turn to. Well, hell, when I asked my husband, I mean, this is how bad it was. When I asked my husband what he wanted for dinner, he would hmm and ha and I don't know, what do you want? And I know, I know in my head that it was really, you know, was just trying to make things easier for me. But I never got a straight answer. And I got so mad and frustrated that, you know, but not to, you know, upset the apple cart. I really just dug a hole deeper into myself. And it was the only way that I could sort of isolate myself and be alone, but still be able to do what needed doing. The one thing that I think, so when it was happening, um, particularly after my daughter was born, which was great just after she was born, because she was born at the end of August. So the weather was still really, really good. So the first three months until the weather turned bad, um, my ex-husband, who was a teacher, he would go, he would come home and he would... this was the best he would take anything that moved we didn't have cats at the time but he would take anything that moved so dog kids put them in the stroller put them on the leash the dog not the kids and he would go out as soon as he got home he would take everybody out and they would go for a walk for about half an hour or so and that was some really good sort of alone time for me And what I would actually end up doing, and I know how weird this is going to sound, I actually know where the center of my house is. Um, I would sit in the center of my house, which was on uh, a small flight of stairs that led up to to the bedrooms at the back of the house. And I would sit there for like, God, 20 minutes or so and just basically center myself. And it was kind of what I needed to do to be able to then get up and do sort of the rest of the night, um, to be able to do that but of course it didn't last all that long Um, but it helped and it made a huge impression on me and and made a big impact on me so unfortunately as the kids grew up you know all of that stopped for sure they were in sports they were in dance everything else was always you know go here go there you were never not with somebody and the only times I ever really had a chance to be alone and not needed by somebody, but even then, if I did go, um, you were still needed, um, was during weekend trips with my, with my ex's family. So they had a cottage and there would be, you know, family reunions and, and, you know, trips up north and things like that. But I would make an excuse to stay home because I needed to be alone. I needed to stay home. And we had the, best part was is we had a dog um and 
their family didn't really like dogs. So um, it was a great excuse to sort of, well, I have to I have to stay home with the dog. We don't have anybody to look after the dog. I mean, I'm sure we could have found somebody, but um, it was a great excuse just to stay home alone and for even a small amount of time, even a, a day or so, and just recharge. I needed that alone time and that recharge time. And that's really how we, or you, if you're feeling this, can combat this feeling of being overwhelmed by the mass amount of neediness on you is taking time for yourself on a regular basis to just recharge and be with just you. And of course, this comes down to that whole, you know, self-care. And I know people, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a catchphrase right now for things, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean, you know, spa weekends away and things like that. It can be fairly simple. Um, one thing that, uh, we did when my middle son was born. So before my daughter came is my, at the end of the day, after dinner and whatnot, my ex would do uh, bath and bedtime with the boys. So after dinner, I had mummy time. Mummy time started at around seven or eight and I did yoga. Um, I put my feet up. And it was incredibly helpful for me to sort of be recharged and, and moving forward in my life. The, um, and actually did Weight Watchers at the same time. I think I lost like 60 pounds <laughs> in that, uh, in that first year after, uh, after my son was born. But then of course you go back to work and there's no time at the end of the day. You haven't seen your kids all day. And so again, it kind of fell by the wayside. <clears throat> Sorry, losing my voice for some reason. Anyways, I, I really wish that I had been better at that sort of self-care for myself after my daughter was born. But I also, had, again, had postpartum depression. So, you know, what are you going to do? But what are some ways that we can, simple ways really, that we can recharge and sort of even just be alone for a little bit of time where you aren't needed. And I remember thinking this, I just need a moment where people don't need me. And this pandemic actually has been terrible for this. Um, and I'm not saying anything negative about this. I love my children and I love doing things for them. But I'm also looking after my elderly mother and my elderly uncle. And it's just me that's doing it. And it feels like, you know, there is no break time to just not be needed. And, and I know that might sound crazy, but yeah, it's something that it's very elusive right at this point in time. And it's, it's hard to sort of wrap your head around it. So I do actually spend time now, particularly during the pandemic, trying to do that where I am just sitting on the couch playing playing with a you know a Nintendo Switch I have my own Nintendo Switch I'm a 50 year old woman that has her own Nintendo Switch but it's my downtime so that I can stop my brain I can stop being needed I can have a few moments where I can just recharge so other ways that we can recharge and hopefully now that the weather's getting better I mean it's like it's double digits today I'm very excited about that um, it's also raining so I'm not going out but um, very excited about the prospect of actually getting out and going for a walk 
going for a walk, getting some fresh air. Um, I remember many, many years ago, there's a couple in my neighborhood who every night, um, when they were pregnant, they would do this. And then after baby was born, they did it too. But every night, the two of them would just go for a walk. And it wasn't that the the birthing parent was needing to cook dinner and needing to do this. They were just talking as a couple and, and having that connection. And I really think that was that was probably very beneficial for them. Also, you know, just for that recharge, but to connect with one another and, and help with their relationship, which I think is is also very helpful too. So going for a walk can be, you know, again, very beneficial. Scheduling a massage. I, I've read on some websites, you know, scheduling a massage for yourself. Well, of course, we don't necessarily all have that, um, the benefits and whatnot to do that. But if you do, you know, schedule yourself for a weekly massage if you can, if you can afford it. Um, ask for help. Asking for help from your partner, your family, your friends. Asking for help with the babies, having somebody look after them while you, you know, go do something for yourself. That's not bad. Asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength to say, you know what? I have a limit and I'm about to reach it. I need help. Make sure that you're asking for that help before you hit that wall. Another thing that that has been suggested is um, taking a nap. <laughs> My kids are... I mean, my youngest is 16. I still take a nap. And I know that, um, you know, when my daughter was little and I was looking after her and the boys were at school, um, and I know my ex thought I was lazy, but we would, the two of us would lay down together. We would have a nap. She didn't necessarily nap because she gave her naps up at nine months. I pretty much wanted to shoot myself. <clears throat> but um, she would lay down and watch like, Caillou or something on the TV and I would go to sleep on the couch and yeah I didn't clean and I didn't vacuum in that time in that half an hour I didn't start dinner I didn't do any of that stuff I don't care it's what I needed to do to actually continue functioning on at least three quarters of the cylinders that I had in order to get through the rest of the day you could also, and I and I will openly admit I don't do this, but I probably should, but I know people that do it, um, is practicing mindfulness or guided meditation. While the baby naps, just don't worry about the laundry. Don't worry about the kitchen. Don't worry about, you know, doing the floors or folding laundry or anything like that. Just take 10 minutes out of that time when your baby's going to be napping to sit and do some guided meditation, or again, have a nap as well. There's definitely um, guided meditation apps. They're usually free um, for to a certain extent. My favorite um, sort of meditation app is Calm. I love that one the best, and I'm not getting paid for endorsement or anything, but I don't pay for many apps um, besides, you know, Pokemon Go. Um I do pay for Calm because I actually listen to all their sleep stories at night. Um, I do enjoy the sleep stories. I don't think I can sleep now without somebody reading me a story, but uh, I'm I'm perfectly willing to do that. So Calm, Headspace, these guided meditation apps can be very helpful, especially if you're someone like me where your brain just never shuts off and you're, you can't sort of sit there and meditate on your own. Um, you need uh, somebody to help walk you through it and that's okay too. 
The other thing to remember with this is don't feel guilty for needing time to be with yourself. It's perfectly normal to need space. It's perfectly normal to say, uh, I'm done. I need to be alone. This idea of super mom is an urban myth. And let's be honest, that bitch, that fictitious bitch is awful. We hate her. She sucks. Supermom is a terrible person to live up to, and it's impossible to live up to them. So let it go. I know it's easier said than done, but you've got to be forgiving for yourself. If the, if the laundry doesn't get folded that day, eh, it'll get folded tomorrow. It'll get folded at some point. Hell, we spent, when my mom was going through sort of menopause and, and having lots of issues in that respect, we never folded laundry. We just went downstairs and pulled the, pulled clean underwear off a shelf in the laundry room. That's where, that's where the laundry all went. Um, God, I'll never forget that. You would go digging around in these big heaps of laundry. I don't think we ever, God, there were years we never folded laundry. We kind of do the same thing here. Laundry gets done. But it sits in baskets for, for quite a long time. And personally, I don't care. Um, thankfully, my daughter started folding laundry, which I love. God, I love that kid. Um, and finally, another way is put yourself first. You know that whole adage when you get onto a plane of put on your own oxygen mask before you start putting on others? You can't give from an empty cup. Okay? So I... One of my, one of my partners, one of my business partners and friends, they talk about, you know, giving from an empty cup. That's not possible. However, what you should be giving from, giving to others from is from the tea that spills over from your overfilled cup. Give from the saucer. So filling up your own cup to be able to have it spill over and give from that saucer. That's, that's great. And that's self-preservation. Focusing on yourself isn't selfish, it's self-preservation. Okay, so I get being touched out. I get it. But you need to find ways, not necessarily of, you know, giving up something like feeding your baby or things like that, but finding ways in those down times between the times where you have to be with your children to actually focus on just yourself, right? All right. So next up, I realized that last week I forgot to do this, but it was kind of a long episode too, but I realized I forgot to do sort of a in the news special section. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up next. And we're going to talk about something called birth alerts. Hey, so we're back. Have you ever heard of the term birth alert? I kind of knew, but I didn't know it had a name. I knew of the practice of a birth alert, but I didn't know it actually had a name. APTNnews.ca reads, when a social worker feels an expected parent may put their newborn at risk, they can issue a birth alert, flagging the expected parent to the hospital staff without their consent and directing them to notify social workers as soon as the baby was born. What that results in is the baby usually being apprehended immediately after the birth. These birth alerts disproportionately affect parents, birthing parents of color in particular Indigenous and Black birthing parents. 
However, in July of 2020, according to a CBC article, the Ontario Native Women's Association applauded the announcement that the Ontario government was directing children's aid societies to stop sending birth alerts. The ONWA said Indigenous women have pushed for years to have this discriminatory practice end. In the last year alone, 442 children were removed from their mother's care between the ages of seven days old and one year. This recommendation was also uh, suggested as ending during the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. This step towards ending the harm that can happen from separating families instead of working with them to create a better space for that family to be um, is, is a good step forward. And I'm only sorry that this happened in July of 2020, and I heard nothing about it. So there was um, a news item on it on CBC, on the CBC, but I'm only sorry that there wasn't bigger discussion and more media coverage on this topic. At that time, we were still, rightly so, focusing on COVID, which we needed to, but also American politics as well. While this is not an ending to the discrimination uh, against uh, Indigenous women, Black women, uh, Black birthing parents or Indigenous birthing parents. It is a step forward. And um, when we hear more good step forwards like this, we will talk about them. So thank you for listening. You 10 incredibly wonderful people, you. Please take a moment to rate, review and subscribe and tell your friends. Anything is helpful. And remember to wear a mask, wash your hands, Stay safe out there and treat each other with kindness and respect.